Hey, Outcomes Rocket friends. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast once again. As a leader in healthcare, you have big ideas, great products, a story to tell, and are looking for ways to improve your reach and scale your business. However, there's one tiny problem. Healthcare is tough to navigate and the typical sales cycle is slow. That's why you should consider starting your own podcast as part of your sales and marketing strategy. At the Outcomes Rocket, I've been able to reach thousands of people every single month that I wouldn't have otherwise been able to reach if I had not started my podcast. Having this organic reach enables me to get the feedback necessary to create a podcast that delivers value that you are looking for. And the same thing goes if you start a podcast for what you could learn from your customers. The best thing about podcasting in healthcare is that we're currently at the ground level, meaning that the number of people in healthcare listening to podcasts is small but growing rapidly. I put together a free checklist for you to check out the steps on what it takes to create your own podcast. You could find that at outcomesrocket.health slash podcast. Check it out today and find a new way to leverage the sales, marketing, and outcomes of your business. That's outcomesrocket.health slash podcast. And welcome back. It's a pleasure to have you all back on the podcast. Today, I have Jeremy Rassen. He's the co-founder President and Chief Scientific Officer at ATN. Jeremy is an epidemiologist and computer scientist with 20 years of experience in the science and technology of big data. It's this awesome combination that helped him put together the resources and plan for the work that they do there. He was an assistant professor of medicine at Harvard Medical School, where he developed cutting-edge methods for developing quality evidence using real-world data. Prior to that, Jeremy spent a decade in Silicon Valley. He was the fifth employee at Epiphany Incorporated, where he was involved in the creation, sale, and deployment of data-intensive applications for marketing and customer relationship management. There's no doubt that the shift that we're having in healthcare is going away from the typical, hey, devices, life sciences approach. It's all about what you could do with data to improve outcomes. And so it's such a pleasure to have Jeremy on the podcast today to share his insights in this space. Welcome. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. (laughs) It's a pleasure to have you, Jeremy. Anything that I left out in that intro that uh, you want to share with the listeners? No, I think that was pretty comprehensive. Awesome. Well, listen, there's no doubt that paths lead into healthcare and a lot of different reasons, a lot of different ways. But what was the way that you got led into healthcare? You know, I think in your intro, you, you almost said it. As you mentioned, uh, at the beginning of my career, I spent about 10 years out in Silicon Valley um, working on big data applications. I was a computer science undergrad, went back to where I'm from, which is uh, San Francisco area. After school, um, got engaged in, in all the tech that was going on there uh, in the mid to late 90s and really adored the technology. I really adored the technology of using large data sets to find interesting associations, to find even interesting sort of causal facts. But I wanted to apply that in a way that was different than what I was doing out there, which was largely, as you said, in in marketing and and customer relationship management. So transitioned uh, to healthcare. And my first step there was getting a, a doctorate in epidemiology at the Harvard School of Public Health. And if uh, you think about public health, my parents, I grew up in San Francisco, as I said, my father is an internist in San Francisco. My mother ran a large social service organization. So if you average out the two, you kind of get public health. 
So going um, to school in public health and getting the degree in epidemiology um, felt like a return home in many ways, but also a return home in the sense of being able to take the kind of questions that we were asking of the data and apply them to a whole new field, that is to say, the effectiveness, safety, and value of medications. I think it's so fascinating, Jeremy. And it's it's really interesting how you sort of dovetailed all of that into, into public health and, and with your background in computer science. I think now is the time and everybody's talking about value-based care. What do you do? How do you do it? What does it mean? And so I love that you and your team are are working to quantify and, and really find a way to scale these things that are essential to our, our business and, and, and for our patients. And, you know, if I could say that was, that was one of the first things I worked on in Boston. I met a fellow named uh, Sebastian Schneeweiss. Um, Sebastian had spent the prior 10, 15, 20 years thinking about how to use the data sets uh, that came to be as part of the running of the healthcare system, the claims data, the medical records, um, yes. other data to really evaluate safety, effectiveness, and value uh, in particular of, of medications. And he'd been thinking about that in a very structured, epidemiologic kind of academic way. I'd been thinking a lot about data and, and really from the, from the first moments we put, we put our heads together and said, how can we take that really strong causal thinking that's developed in the field of epidemiology and put that to work at scale, which is the big part of it, put that to work at scale for answering these questions of value that, that we all have. Super interesting. So you're taking a look at this data and you're trying to figure out how to make the best impact in healthcare. What would you say today is the big hot topic that needs to be on all the health leaders' agendas today? And how are you guys at ATN addressing it? It comes back to value for me. I think being inside the healthcare field at this point, um, but talking to, to friends and colleagues who are outside the healthcare field, I think it's pretty clear that the rising costs aren't good for patients, they aren't good for the healthcare system, and you know, ultimately, they have to be unsustainable. So thinking about how to spend money in a way that improves patient outcomes, but also sustains the system, to me, is the hot topic. And you know, I wrap that all up and call that, call that value. It's really important to look at this. And so I'm curious, how are you guys looking at value? And how are you helping health systems look and measure value? I think this is a thing that a lot of people struggle with. Yeah, I mean, we, we really look at value starting with decision-making. There's a thousand decisions made, you know, every moment in healthcare. As a scientist, I have to be careful with numbers, but uh, <laughs> there's a lot of decisions being made every moment in healthcare, and those can be, you know, small decisions at the clinical level for one patient or large decisions um, happening at payers or at biopharma companies or at other places affecting uh, many, many patients. And I think the vast majority of the decisions that are being made today are done either with intuition rather than evidence or with evidence that isn't really pertinent to the patients whom that decision um, will affect. And so I think a lot of what we do is intuitive. We have the data now, we have the information now to do this based on evidence, to make these decisions based on evidence, and not just any evidence. I think there's a lot of evidence out there, our randomized trial evidence, for example, that's a very high quality, but doesn't necessarily describe the patients that we're treating at any given moment. It could be that the trial was done in a particular part of the country or in a particular patient subsegment or with a particular set of comorbidities. We need evidence that supports decision-making for all patients and for patients in particular whom we're treating at any given moment. 
so Jeremy, that's really interesting. And I think it's important that we start looking at that. I mean, I think of, let's keep it simple, right? Like cable. If your cable company doesn't deliver what you believe is a good internet speed, guess what? You're going to cut them out. In the same way is kind of happening here in healthcare, you know, rising uh, healthcare premiums, you've got rising uh, co-pays. So now you go to your, your grocery store and you've got this like smart MRI place where you're, now they're actually giving you options, right? You're going to pay less for it. Value is, is something that we need to deliver. Can you give the listeners an example of how your company has helped organizations create results through this value perspective? You know, absolutely. And, and you know, I'm thinking about the MRI example. You, yeah. That might be incredibly important for the treatment of one group of patients, but much less important and perhaps even unimportant or even harmful for, for another group of patients. There is, you know, certainly a cost of an MRI. There's certainly kind of the, the, the cost borne to the patient of going through a procedure uh, that he or she doesn't need. So that's, in some ways, the context that I think about um, value in. And so, you know, one example that we've engaged with here at Adion is working with a pair here in the Northeast where they had a pretty general question. And that question was, help us better care for our diabetes population. And diabetes population at this pair, large and growing, and growing in terms of the disease itself, the diabetes itself, but also all the comorbidities that go along with diabetes and all the utilization and cost that ensue from, from the diabetes and the comorbidities. And so they came to us with a pretty big question, you know, help us uh, better manage our diabetes population. And for us, managing, rather answering a question like that starts with really understanding who the patients are, who is this population. And so to do that, you want to break down the population using the data for the payer, because that's, that's mm-hmm. representing ultimately the patients that they're caring for. Not national data, not a randomized trial that somebody ran, but the payer's own data. And really digging into those data to understand who the patients are, what kind of uh, treatments they are currently experiencing, uh, what kind of outcomes occur, and how we could possibly change those outcomes for some or, or all patients. So with this particular payer, we helped them break down their diabetes population and show that it really wasn't monolithic in any way. They certainly knew that, but describe the ways in which it wasn't monolithic. And in particular, there was about a 10% uh, group of uh, the diabetes patients who were particularly severe, particularly high risk, and high risk both of uh, progression of diabetes, but also these comorbidities, which I, which I mentioned before. And so as I said, that's 10%. That's a relatively small number. But those 10% were being treated to guidelines um, the way the other 90% were. And the guidelines say, you know, start with a first-line therapy. If that doesn't work, you know, move on to, you know, kind of something in the middle between first and second, continue with uh, a second-line therapy. And what we showed was having identified these 10% of patients, if they're treated directly with the second-line therapies, which are more expensive, they cost more. But that cost is, over the ensuing months, represented... Uh, much better outcomes for the patient and much fewer ER visits and hospitalizations and other kind of high cost services for the payer. And so that's not everybody, that's one in 10. But if you think about how to treat the one in 10 differently than the nine in 10, you end up with amazing results both for the patient uh, and for the system itself. Yeah, that's really neat, Jeremy. And and the interesting part, you know, a lot like it's sort of a microcosm of, of the healthcare environment that we're mm-hmm. in. Most of the spend goes to 5% of, of, of the issues that are out there. And the nice thing that your company is providing 
sounds like it's you're you're giving these these people not a representation of the U.S. but a true analysis of their population. Absolutely, every entity within healthcare has a certain group of patients for whom they're responsible, a payer population, a, a health systems uh, patients that they're treating, and as as you can get closer and closer to really looking at how to improve outcomes within that specific population under treatment, I think we can do better and better. Yeah. And a lot of times we think of value-based care, your mind and, 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 you know, through conversations, you typically go to like, all right, what value are you providing patients? And I think another way we, we should be thinking about it, Jeremy, and appreciate you for kind of teeing this up is, is what value are you providing to providers in helping them identify the best treatment for patients as a payer, for instance? You're collaborating with the other stakeholders in healthcare. Value-based care is all about collaboration between all the stakeholders. Absolutely. And we see that as a, as a very core part of, of what we do, which is to help bring these stakeholders together on a shared and transparent and well-understood evidence base that's pertinent to the patients being treated, pertinent to the population that's being cared for. And to do that, we need good data. And you know, over the last 20 years, I would say, there's been a huge advance in the methodological bases for real-world data analysis mm-hmm. uh, to real-world evidence. I'd say you know, 20 years back, we were looking at randomized trials as not just the gold standard, perhaps even the only way of really getting at these important questions of does drug A work better for drug B among patients with very severe diabetes and substantial comorbidities. A randomized trial 20 years ago may have been seen as the only way to answer a question like that. Today, we have the epidemiologic basis, and I'm a scientist, so sorry for going into that. That's <laughs> <laughs> no, all good. Uh, and the methodologic basis for really doing that either with a randomized trial or with the data that's already generated as part of the healthcare system, the, the real world data. And I think that's an extraordinary evolution over the last 20 years that really gives us the opportunity to measure value and deliver value in real time and uh, for the patients who are, who are being treated, as I mentioned. And I think that's an extraordinary evolution over the last 20 years. And our company, Adion, and the software that, that we create is a platform for taking all of those developments over the last 20 years and putting them into software that can be deployed quickly and at the right points in the healthcare system to make these really important decisions that everybody through the system needs to make to make those decisions fully evidence-based at the highest level of quality. Love that. Love that. And sounds like it's a phenomenal tool. Folks, if you haven't had a chance, uh, check out Jeremy's team and all the things that they're doing, uh, adion.com. That's A-E-T-I-O-N.com. You'll find all the uh, uh, software solutions they offer there, as well as the team of outstanding contributors that they work with there. So things don't always work out, Jeremy. Sometimes uh, we hit brick walls, especially mm-hmm. in entrepreneurship and healthcare. <laughs> and so we learn more from those moments. So I want to ask you, give us an example of a time when you had a setback and what you learned from that setback. Yeah. I mean, so we founded the company, Sebastian Schneewes and I, about five years ago, and that's given us uh, ample opportunity <laughs> to, <laughs> as we've uh, moved along. I'll say that there were a lot of things that, that you know, really came together over those first years. You know, one of the first things that Sebastian and I did was to go 
um, find just a top, top, top talent tech team to build out this software platform. And we need to be able to do this fast. We need to be able to do it at scale. We need to be able to do this in real time. These are all things that you know you really need a, a top tech team to create. I think at the beginning, at the outset, at the beginning, we, we thought that our customers would have all the questions available and ready to go. And just, you know, we're, we're needing software to input all those questions into and get the answers. And what we, what we learned over the ensuing years was that sometimes, in fact, even a lot of the time, those questions were available, but sometimes the questions were a little broader. Like I'm launching a new drug and I want to get ahead of any potential concerns that FDA might have about safety. How do I develop an evidentiary base around the safety of my, of my medication? Or even something that was even a little broader, like help me understand my diabetes population. And so I think one of the things we've learned over the years is that the software and our interactions with our customers have to really start with all levels of questions and that uh, we can really, as an organization, engage in these issues kind of at any place in our customers' thinking. And that is something that we've really learned over the last couple of years. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because you often think like, hey, you know, we, we dive into some of these some of these challenges that our customers have and you imagine that the questions are already there. But oftentimes as somebody coming in from the outside, that's where we could offer the most value, right? Just like seeing from the outside and helping them formulate those questions. Yeah, that's really interesting. You know, I think coming from the outside or even coming from, you know, kind of just just from the outside, just outside, right? Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. You can see a little bit how a pattern of thinking can lead to a series of specific questions. And that's something that we can really um, help our customers with and something that we do, you know, at this point quite frequently. Mm, I think that's so cool. You know, one of the things that happens a lot with me, Jeremy, is is kind of like along, along the lines of what you just discussed is, you know, I interview a lot of awesome folks like yourself doing outstanding things in healthcare they'll reach out to me and just say, hey, you know, what are you seeing? And just kind of being off on that, not even like outside, like let's just call it sidelines, right? You're still very involved. You could really help clients have that unique perspective that they need to make those breakthroughs. Yeah, I mean, the, the answering these really tough problems in healthcare, you know, how do we find optimal value for patients and for the system? How do we, you know, really get at these underlying questions involves First, with exactly that, stating the right question. And, you know, I was reading a book by Judea Pearl, which I mm-hmm. highly recommend, called The Book of Why, where huh. Dr. Pearl is uh, one of the, the true pioneers in causal thinking, okay. um, helping to break down a problem and, and express it in a way that's truly causal, meaning not just if I switch a drug A versus B, you know, which is going to be better for a patient, but really identifying you know, which patients you're talking about and what that switch would mean and, and really kind of what the alternative would be to treating with standard of care. And that kind of causal thinking is really needed because at the end of it, if you're talking about a decision that's going to change healthcare, or change health outcomes or improve outcomes for a patient, you need to be thinking causally. You need to think about what can I change that's really going to make an impact on the patient or on, or on the system. So f- framing questions in a causal way is something that I as an epidemiologist think about as a really important uh, first step. And this book by Pearl, I think talks very, very nicely about how to think about questions uh, framed causally. 
Love that. What a great recommendation there. One that I'll definitely add to the list, Jeremy. Thank you for that. Let's look at the other side of this, uh, this question, right? You, you took us to sort of a, a setback and what you learned from that, which is super valuable. How about one of your proudest medical leadership experiences that you've had to date? Well, you know, just as five years has given us uh, quite a bit of time to experience uh, the first part of that, we've also had, a, <laughs> I'm yep. very pleased to say, a number of really proud experiences. Our company, as I just mentioned, is five years old. It started with three people in a little office here in New York City, and we've grown now to well over 100. We're here in New York City, up in Boston, on the West Coast, and, and, and all over the country. That's um, amazing. Congratulations. And, thank you. And, uh, and really, the, the company has grown, and as the company has grown, the needs of the company have changed quite a bit. So one of my personal proudest moments was working to recruit Carolyn McGill, who's mm-hmm. our uh, CEO. She joined us uh, a little more than a year ago, and she had just this phenomenal experience in growing startups, working in the payer sector, and really just a deep, deep understanding over her years of experience of how the healthcare system works and the dynamics of the system. And that really complemented in an important way how we've been thinking about uh, decision-making and causality and the science and the software to support um, all of those, those questions and decisions. And so, you know, thinking about Proudest leadership experiences, I think bringing Carolyn to our organization and being a part of that is something that I'm uh, deeply proud of and has been, you know, incredibly successful, of course, for our organization as well. So That's uh, awesome. Well, Carolyn, shout out to you and Jeremy. Nice work on recruiting her. <laughs> <laughs> it's tough to get the right team put together. I'm a firm believer of hire quickly, but fire slow. Well, it's actually the other way around, right? Fire quickly, hire slowly, because it's hard to find the right people. It really is. And one of the things I, I really enjoy about our organization is how deeply we engage um, in the thought that's required to really bring powerful solutions to the, the healthcare field. And that's something that at all levels, from literally all levels of the organization, from leadership uh, on down, we really thoughtfully engaging at all times. And Carolyn and the leadership team that, that she's assembled uh, since she uh, joined uh, a little more than a year ago, I think um, really represents that in a very meaningful way. That's awesome. Congratulations. So Jeremy, tell me about an exciting project or, or focus that you're working on today. Well, we talked a little bit about randomized controlled trials, RCTs. We talked a little bit about real-world data and sort of the sister concept of real-world evidence, RWD and RWE, to use the lingo. For me, one of the most exciting projects we're working on is looking at how the methodological developments over the last 20 years that I mentioned, real-world data and real-world evidence have gained the ability to really support causal decision-making, whereas randomized trials were kind of the the big game in town, perhaps the only game 20, 20 odd years back. I think one of the most exciting projects we're working on is looking at how real-world data can support uh, regulatory decision-making. So we were selected by FDA working in conjunction with Brigham Women's Hospital and Harvard Medical School up in Boston to kind of replay history a little bit um, mm-hmm. and to take 30 trials that the FDA had used for decision-making. So 23 leading to a positive decision and seven leading to a negative decision and to replay history and to see if we had used real-world data, the data that's part of the healthcare system, data that's available, at the same time 
that those trials were being run, would the real-world data analysis have led to the same decision that the randomized trial um, ultimately led to? Hmm. Randomized trials, as I mentioned, you know, gold standard in causal thinking, but also very expensive, limited to a small group of patients, limited to very likely a non-representative group of patients, older patients, patients with, uh, with extensive comorbidities, vastly underrepresented, uh, broadly speaking, in randomized trials, could we have come to the same conclusion using real-world data? So that's a project that's, that's ongoing here with FDA, and we're also you know, working with regulators around the world on similar kinds of projects. And to me, this lets us get to the place of really applying real-world data in all the instances where we can apply it. And I wanna be clear, that's not every instance, not every question answered by a randomized trial could potentially be answered with real-world data. But in those instances where we could make that switch, let's have the evidentiary base for making that switch and let's do it. Because that lets us get at really key, really important answers all that much faster at much lower cost. Again, sort of this idea of value in the healthcare system and really lets us affect positive outcomes for patients as quickly as we can. I love your conviction, Jeremy. And it sounds like there's some really great groundwork happening here to even um, take a look at causal versus randomized controls methods to do things within our space. So I think uh, that's a very important work that you guys are up to. And as a scientist, I'll say it's thrilling work. I mean, it's, it's truly thrilling work as well, which is awesome. <laughs> that's fantastic. And, and the cool part about it all is that on the back end of it, this thrilling work actually impacts patient lives and there's nothing more thrilling than that. Undoubtedly so. And being able to do that at scale, I mean, and being able to do it quickly, this is stuff that really leads to that quality decision-making in the healthcare system that gets us to a place that's really, really thinking very carefully about high quality patient outcomes and value. That's awesome. I totally agree with you. And uh, we're getting close to the end here, Jeremy. This is the final part of the podcast. You and I are going to build a medical leadership course on what it takes to be successful in the business of healthcare. It's the 101 of Dr. Jeremy Rassen. And so we're going to write out a syllabus. I've got four questions, lightning round style for you, followed by a book that you recommend to the listeners. You ready? I am ready. <laughs> okay, here we go. What's the best way to improve healthcare outcomes? So... For me, this course is about data-driven decision-making in healthcare. And for me, then, the, the best way to improve healthcare care outcomes is to start by really, really carefully measuring and understanding healthcare outcomes. Love um, I think only by measuring and understanding healthcare outcomes can we really improve them and really prove that we have uh, improved them. And it's that second part that I feel like is often missed. It's like, sure, measure them, but understand them. I love that you just threw in the understands there because it really takes it to that next level that you really need to improve outcomes. And, and you know, somewhere in the, uh, you know, later, later courses here, the later lectures of our course, I think <laughs> we, could, uh, we could have a lecture on, on applying what you learn and really looking how to, to take what you've learned and turn it back into that next cycle of, uh, mm. of improvement. Love that. So what's the biggest mistake or pitfall to avoid? So I think through, through our conversation here, we've talked a lot about causality. For me, the biggest mistake to avoid is to confuse an association that we see in healthcare with something that's causal, with something that you know, if you made that change, it would truly affect that patient. You see it over and over and over again. 
And to me, that's uh, both the biggest mistake and also perhaps the uh, most prevalent mistake. How do you stay relevant despite constant change? So as an organization, you know, ultimately we're answering questions alongside our customers that improve health for patients. And so, you know, relevance in that case is making sure that we're thinking about the questions and have methodologies ready to answer the questions that are most relevant for patients as, as time goes uh, from today to tomorrow to many, many years from now. What's one area of focus that drives everything in your organization? It's the seriousness of our mission. I think every single one of my colleagues here understands that the insights that we're unlocking are ultimately about patient health. And that requires real seriousness of mission and of purpose. And I I think that drives everything that we do. Beautiful. And what book would you recommend as part of the syllabus, Jeremy? Well, I guess as part of the syllabus, I have to say Book of Why by Judea Pearl, okay. which we, um, which we um, talked, talked about. Talked about it earlier. Yeah. Yep. If you ask me what book uh, in general would I recommend, maybe Let's outside the syllabus a little bit. Let's hear it. The extracurricular um, read, listeners. The extracurricular read. That's it. <laughs> um, I, I have to say, I've just been really, really enjoying the Trevor Noah audiobook, uh, Born a Crime. I know this is in podcast circles. I maybe shouldn't say that this was one of my first audiobook, spoken word, iPhone. Nice. Uh, you know. Hey, you took the jump though, and that's what matters. <laughs> um, so lengthy spoken word experiences uh, on, on the iPhone, and I have just thoroughly enjoyed it. I, I, his perspective is, is, is fascinating, and just the way he tells the story as he reads his own story um, is just phenomenal. So I couldn't recommend it more. Outstanding. There you have it, listeners. Check out all the things that we discussed, the transcript, links to those books, links to Ation. Just go to outcomesrocket.health slash Ation. And again, it's A-E-T-I-O-N. And the website for Ation is A-E-T-I-O-N.com. So make sure you check that out. Everything is right there for you. Easy to access. Jeremy, this has been fun. I really have enjoyed our conversation. Likewise. Before we conclude, I'd love if you could just share a closing thought and then the best place where the listeners could get in touch with or follow you. Well, the best place for listeners to follow us is uh, LinkedIn or, or Twitter. We're pretty active there. Closing thought, um, I think goes what goes back to the beginning. You know, ultimately, as a field, we need to be thinking very deeply about value. And as we think deeply about value, we have to be making really important decisions for the patients we're entrusted to care for. And so for me, those decisions... Uh, need to be based on quality evidence that's pertinent, that's there, that's timely, and um, that's how we best serve. Outstanding, Jeremy. No, for sure. You guys are leading the way in a very important way. So keep up the awesome work. One of the one of the things that I that I think about, Jeremy, when I just kind of think about the lessons that you've shared, is that we tend to overestimate what we could do in one year, but severely underestimate what we could do in two or three decades. And I think the impact of you and your that. <laughs> it's going to be huge. It's going to be huge. I, I, I love what you guys are doing. So keep up your, your amazing work. And thanks for carving out time for us today. Thank you so much for the opportunity to be here. Really appreciate it. Hey, Outcomes Rocket friends. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast once again. As a leader in healthcare, you have big ideas, great products, a story to tell, and are looking for ways to improve your reach and scale your business. However, there's one tiny problem. 
Healthcare is tough to navigate and the typical sales cycle is slow. That's why you should consider starting your own podcast as part of your sales and marketing strategy. At the Outcomes Rocket, I've been able to reach thousands of people every single month that I wouldn't have otherwise been able to reach if I had not started my podcast. Having this organic reach enables me to get the feedback necessary to create a podcast that delivers value that you are looking for. And the same thing goes if you start a podcast for what you could learn from your customers. The best thing about podcasting in healthcare is that we're currently at the ground level, meaning that the number of people in healthcare listening to podcasts is small but growing rapidly. I put together a free checklist for you to check out the steps on what it takes to create your own podcast. You could find that at outcomesrocket.health slash podcast. Check it out today and find a new way to leverage the sales, marketing, and outcomes of your business. That's outcomesrocket.health slash podcast.